Funding for the Capital Weekly Podcast is provided by the California Endowment and by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Uh, greetings and welcome to the Capital Weekly Podcast. This is John Howard, and our special guest today is Craig Tucker, a natural resources policy advocate for the Karuk tribe in the far north of California, southern Oregon. Uh, we're talking with Craig today because he is a water expert, has been writing about this for years and communicating about this for years, and an historic agreement was announced just a couple days ago on the removal of dams, four dams from the lower Klamath River. Uh, Craig, thank you very much for coming. Why is this? Uh, why is this deal so? Um, why is this agreement so important between Oregon, California, and I think Warren Buffett got in there in addition to tribal interests and regulators. Well, the, the Klamath River is historically the third most productive salmon river in the west coast of the United States, behind the Sacramento and the Columbia. But you know, years of water over allocating water and over a century of dam building and dam operation has really left the Klamath sort of a shadow of its former self, I would say. Uh, we, you know, we have some runs of salmon have been driven extinct, and the runs that remain are really kind of hanging on by a thread. Every year the Klamath is plagued by massive blooms of toxic algae that originate behind these dams. So removing the dams is going to be an enormous step forward for addressing the water quality problems in the Klamath and give us the opportunity to restore one of America's great salmon runs. What do you think the, uh, the time frame is on this to remove, to remove these dams? How long will it take to do that? What's involved in that? It sounds like a massive project. What would be involved in that? Well, luckily we've been at it for years, and so we have a we have a real head start on this project. So we're really at the kind of the end of the effort. We have uh, applications in front of FERC to transfer the dams to the dam removal entity in the state of California, Oregon, and then an application to actually do the decommissioning. So we're on track to start drawing down reservoirs in 2022 and reach the dams in early 2023. Why does uh FERC, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. Why does FERC get involved in this? Why, why do we need federal approval from this? On this? The Federal Power Act, um, way back in the 20s, uh, created FERC to govern privately owned power plants in the country. Uh-huh. So the power industry is sort of, you know, it's a highly regulated industry. So FERC is given the authority by Congress to approve the buying and selling and transfer of uh, hydropower and other kind of power projects. And if you want to, and, and these operators are given a license. And these licenses usually last between 30 and 50 years. And then when the license expires, um, it creates the opportunity for the public to ask, do these projects still operate in the public interest? Should they be modified? Should they be removed? And so, the license to operate these dams expired in 2004. And so since then, we've been, I guess, kind of debating on what we'll do with them. And so originally the company wanted to get a new license to keep operating. Uh, folks that are concerned about water quality and fisheries wanted to remove them. And so there's been kind of a battle for 20 years over the outcome. And I think the agreement signed this week sort of signals that that battle is really over. 
There was opposition from FERC, I thought, earlier in the year. Do you know, was that resolved, I think, in July or in the spring? Was that, was that taken care of? Yeah, well, that's the big, the big achievement with this week's uh, agreement is resolving those concerns raised by FERC back in July. So what we had originally proposed uh, and came to an agreement with Pacific Ore, the owner of the dams, is that we would transfer these dams to a newly created 501c3 called Klamath Renew River Renewal Corporation. Uh -huh. The corporation received the dams and $200 million from Pacific Ore, along with $250 million that's already been appropriated and approved by California voters and water bonds. That gives us enough money to remove the dams. FERC's concern was you had this you know, nonprofit you just created. It has a finite amount of capital. You know, what if something goes wrong? Are they really prepared to handle it? Um, so FERC wanted Pacific Core to remain a co-licensee through the removal process. From the company's perspective, that was they were not interested in being a removal entity. I think Pacific Ore's perspective is we operate dams and make electricity. We're not in the dam removal business. So it looked like the deal might fall through, but Governor Newsom's team got involved. Governor Kate Brown's team got involved. Karu Pierrot Tribes got involved. And Warren Buffett took a personal hand in this because Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway is actually the owner of Pacific Ore, who in turn owns the dams. So yesterday's, or this week's announcement was really describing the arrangement that California and Oregon will be co-licensees along with the Klamath River Renewal Corporation for the purposes of removal. And if in the unlikely event there's some kind of cost overruns, the two states and Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway will be there to help finance whatever that is. And are these dams hydroelectric? Do they produce hydroelectric power? Are they producing power right now? They are. And so I think a lot of people are concerned about you know, why would we take, you know, green energy off the grid. I would say these dams are anything but green energy. They uh, have a devastating effect on the environment and water quality. And the oh. fact is these dams in particular just don't make very much electricity. Um, they generate somewhere around 90 megawatts of electricity on average. Um, and it's kind of like having a, it's kind of like having that car that won't pass an emissions test. You can either dump a bunch of money in this old car and try to get it going, or you can go get your uh, hybrid vehicle that is better suited for today's environmental rules. And that's kind of the story on these dams. It just isn't worth the investment to bring them into compliance with modern environmental rules. It's just easier to remove them. Now, one of the one of the dams I think was built uh, 1918. The first, so it's over a century old. The others were built later. I think the most recent, 1962, I thought, and I saw one right now. So these are, at the very best, these are aging dams anyway, right? I mean, it's not, they're, they're, are they high maintenance? Are they high maintenance projects yeah. that have to be maintained each year and that costs money too? Right. I mean, these things are made of concrete and steel, which has a finite lifespan. So, you know, it was never the intention of engineers to build dams that last forever. It just isn't how it works. So you have to decide at some point, do you invest in operations and maintenance? Do you get rid of them? And, and that's kind of the decision point we're at with the Climate River Project is, 
you know, what's the public interest here? Is it to keep dumping money into these dams that, are, that pollute the environment, or is it better just to get rid of them? And from Pacific Corps' perspective, they have, you know, they've put thousands of megawatts of wind energy online in the last few years that orders a magnitude more of power production than what these dams offer. For, for, uh, for fishermen, uh, members of the public, uh, are there fishing holes they can go to? These aren't all on tribal lands, I tell you. Are there, are there public places, public spaces where after these dams were removed, fisher people, fishermen can go to and, uh, and get salmon, get their catch, whatever the legal catch oh, is? Oh, yeah. The, the Klamath is a big destination for sport fishermen. People come from all over the world to fish the Klamath. Uh, it's, right now, folks are out there steelhead fishing. The, the problem is that in recent years, there's been a lot of restrictions on catch because of the poor returns of fish. So we would argue that removing these dams and fixing the river is going to create enormous economic opportunities for these rural communities up and down the Klamath Basin. To, and we know from economic studies, every time someone comes and catches a salmon in the Klamath River, it's worth about $250 to the local economy. Whoa. Really? Um, that yeah, well, they come up, they, you, you buy gas, you buy sandwiches, you, sometimes you hire a fishing guide. So, so recreational fishing is big business. Yeah. The, uh, salmon, what's, I, I, you probably, I don't know if you know this or not, what's, uh, what's salmon cost, what does fresh salmon cost in the store? I mean, I never buy it because it's all, I, it's got to be at least 20 bucks a pound or something, but, uh, it seems to me fresh salmon out of the Klamath locally uh, would probably be quite a catch, no pun intended, for local seafood sellers. Does that make sense? Absol absolutely. So if you go to a, if you get local caught uh, wild salmon in my area, it's about twenty five bucks a pound. Uh, wow. The Yurok tribe, who the Yuroks are the, the mouth of the Klamath River, uh, in years of abundance, they actually have a commercial fishery where they harvest salmon and sell the seafood processors. And then the offshore commercial fishermen in California and Oregon really do depend on the Klamath. So if, if there's poor returns on the Klamath, there are uh -huh. restrictions in the ocean from um, Coos Bay, Oregon, to south to Monterey, California. You could shut down the entire West Coast salmon fishing when there's problems with salmon returns on the Klamath. So the economic benefits are not limited to right here in this region, but up and down the coast. Are there any other federal agencies that get, will get involved in this uh, dam removal project? Are federal uh, fisheries regulators, their state uh, regulators, yeah. is there going to be a confluence here of uh, mm -hmm. water regulators getting together on this? Yeah, there's a whole you know alphabet soup of state and federal agencies, but we have already permitted this to the California State Water Board. So we have a Section 401 Clean Water Act permit already from the state uh -huh. of California and the state of Oregon. The Part of the next steps is FERC has to write an environmental impact statement, which will go through a public process that will also require the National Marine Fisheries Service, who has the jurisdiction over uh, in, Coho salmon are on the endangered species list as threatened, and so NOAA Fisheries will be really involved in uh, 
you know, the dam removal plan to look at the impacts of this species. So, but so far everything's really, from the regulatory standpoint, is is going really well. And the, really, this last hurdle was making FERC happy. And so we we believe that what we put together and presented in this agreement this week just sort of checks the last boxes. Was there any um, difference between a Trump administration FERC and presumably uh, and the incoming Biden administration FERC? Does it change? Uh, do they have overlapping terms and appointments on the board, or uh, did you get a different response in 2000 this year rather earlier in the year? Uh, then you might have gotten, say, if Trump was in, excuse me, if Biden was in, uh, comes in this year. Is there a political shift there that you can pick up on? Well, it's interesting. So usually, you know, FERC is presidentially appointed, um, but you typically have three members of the party that's in power and two members of the minority party on FERC. For several years, we've only had for commissioner, three Republicans and a Democrat. I'm not sure that the outcome of this particular issue changes. Um, I mean, you know, you could say that this is an environmental issue on one hand, but it's, now that we have a we have a partnership with the company, so it's also you know in the business interests of the company. So I, you know, what we've always tried to do on climate is make our you know, our strategy, we, we want to be um, bipartisan in every sense of the word. And uh -huh. so we, we don't want to be beholden to whoever's president comes in and changes everything. We, we try to forge agreements on the climate that's, you know, bipartisan, or maybe I would say a better way to say that is we want to be politically agnostic. We're uh -huh. trying to do things that work for everybody and will be popular among um, Republicans and Democrats. How long has this issue been? Uh, simmering. How long has this been going on when the first negotiation started over this to, to get rid of those dams? Well, I would say it's been going on since 1918, uh, but the, the dam, the, the license to operate these dams expired in about 2004, and that came on the heels of what I think is the most traumatic events in climate, recent climate history. And that is, in 2001, there was a massive water shutoff for irrigators in the upper climate basin for the first time in history because of the endangered species. There's an endangered sucker in upper climate lake, and then there's endangered salmon in the river. So in 2001, the farm project up there had the water shutoff, and that came with giant protests. The next year, we were still in a drought, but they resumed irrigation deliveries and that resulted in over 60,000 adult salmon dying before spawning in the lower river. And so those two kind of back-to-back -back catastrophes, then the license for the dams expiring, I think that kind of set the table and set the stage for this effort to remove the dams. Have you got uh, the, the feedback up in that area? I saw one negative comment about the, this agreement. It was from a congressman, Representative Doug LaMalva. He's a Republican, and his district includes uh, Siskiyou County, a piece of Siskiyou County anyway, and at least where those dam, three of the dams are located. And he said in a written statement, they won't help fish and will destroy water storage that's needed for firefighting. Does that any of that make sense? Well, I, I, I haven't yet to hear any 
fisheries biologists claim that you know somehow the dams benefit fish. I mean, I, all the fisheries biologists seem to be uh, in agreement that dam removal is will improve fish runs and improve water quality. We have um, we we in the lower climates we have fires too, and we see the helicopters dip buckets of water straight out of the river every summer for, for fires. We mm -hmm. did have to put together for part of the dam removal plan is a, a fire management plan to kind of you know map out for fire uh, fighting agencies where are the water sources in the area, um, how to address that. So so I think you know Congressman Lamalfa is probably trying to reach deep for excuses not to remove the dams, but I, I think mm -hmm. there seems to be a um, I don't know, a concern from some that somehow if we remove these useless dams, that that segues to removing dams that are maybe more valuable, dams that actually provide irrigation diversions or dams that actually are significant power producers. And I just think, you know, I don't buy the slippery slope argument. You know, I think all dams have to be judged on their own merits, and some of them will be judged to have a you know, a public benefit, and some will be judged to not have a public benefit. And on the Klamath, they simply don't have a, much of a public benefit. They provide no irrigation deliveries, provide no drinking water deliveries, and provide almost no flood control benefits. Uh, Craig, one last question. Does this agreement, would it serve as a, a template? Would it serve as a, a model for other agreements on involving rivers in similar situations where maybe dams are located there that would be... Um, that their removal would improve fish populations. Is there this happening anywhere else in the country? Is this sort of unique to the clam? Well, I think we're an example, not just for dams, but for any um, issue where it's natural resource issues, where you have tribes, you have resource users, you have big companies. I mean, we span two states, eight counties, multiple federal jurisdictions. So I think. If you look at Klamath as an example, you know, I think we're an example of how how tribes, business, state governments can come together to forge uh, you know, agreements to solve big ticket problems. And I don't think it's just about dams. I think it's sort of any natural resource problem. It it really does take sort of uh, you know, unique partnerships. And I'm sure Berkshire Hathaway and Pacific or or don't don't have a lot, tons of experience negotiating with Indian tribes the way they have on the Klamath, for example. Uh, and I really think for for California and much of the West, if you're really going to resolve a lot of these natural resource disputes, you know, empowering tribes to have a, a big role in the solution is kind of key to solving the problem. Right. Fair enough. Craig Tucker, thank you very much for joining us. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. And this is John Howard at Capital Weekly saying we'll see you next time around. Thanks again. The Capital Weekly podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations.